0: With hoodoo priestess and author Lilith Dorsey. And I'm so excited to have you on the show today. There's so much that I want to ask you about, almost to the point where I'm like, what am I going to ask her about? There's so many things I want to (laughs) ask. So thank you so much for coming on today. Welcome to the Glittercast. Oh, thank you for having me on (laughs) Glittercast. Yes, I'm like, can't wait. This is the first episode that I've done on this topic. And I mean, you've written books. You're The one that you sent me, which was awesome, was um, Voodoo and African Traditional Religion. But you also have Orishas, Goddesses, and Voodoo Queens, a Love Magic book, 55 Ways to Connect with Goddess, African American Ritual Cookbook, and Water Magic. And so you do have like a very vast just body of work that people can tap into. But I'm curious – What was your path to the career that you have now? What got you started in this direction?
1: I feel like, I mean, I did my undergrad. I started off at NYU Film, like right after Spike Lee left. So I was the only, you know, black minority person there. And uh, that was a little rough, you know, and and making films cost a lot of money. So somewhere in there, I sort of switched from making films for like a money thing to writing books for a money thing because paper is a lot cheaper than, you know, film or video equipment or any of that.
0: Yeah, totally. When it came down to sort of like your practice, like your spiritual practice, was this something, were these traditions that you were brought up in or was it something that you sought out yourself? I think like
1: a lot of people, especially people my age, you know, I mean, I won't divulge my age, but I'll divulge my daughter. She's 30, so I'm old enough to have a 30-year-old daughter. Got it. She'll <laughs> get, get mad at me if she listens to that because she's stopped counting too now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think that we learned a lot of these things that might be considered hoodoo or folk magic or hedge witch magic. You know, like this is the way you stir the pot of soup. This is the way you you know, brush off your feet or don't put your hairbrush on the table or all these things that as I grew up and got to know more people and got to know more things, I realized not everybody did this. You know, this wasn't these weird little magical things that allowed you to get through your day in an easy way. And, uh, you know, and then I turned around and people were writing books about it. And I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, so... Uh, my formalized practice. So that kind of, you know, after I did, I spent three and a half years doing my undergrad in film, and then I left because I was pregnant, and I went on to get an undergrad in anthropology. And when I was doing that, one of my teachers was like, there's no such thing as magic in this country, and there's no such thing as divination, and it's all fake and a hoax, and, you know, like Mm -hmm. idiots from beyond do it. And and I just hated him. He was horrible. He was like your typical bald, misogynistic idiot that was in academia and is still in academia to a large extent. And I just wanted to prove him wrong. I mean, I already read cards and things like that. And I knew that there was magic out there. You know, my best friend ran one of the largest covens in New York City. And I'd done ritual with them. And, and, uh, you know, we used to do our own kinds of spells and things like that together. and, And then I went on really when my daughter was little to learn about voodoo. I met Priestess Miriam from the Buddhist Spiritual Temple here in New Orleans, and she was just like a second mom to me. She really felt like family, and I learned the way she did things and the way they did things in New Orleans, and that really did feel like coming home. I know a lot of people feel that way about the city, but it felt like that to me. Even from the first picture I saw that when I was little, it looked like, oh, I live there in some other time and I can't wait to go back because it's really where I feel good. You know, you talk about glitter, we're a glitter city, you know, hands down.
0: (laughs) Yes. No, I like, I, you're right though. A lot of people feel like they know New Orleans and that's where you're based. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I moved, um, in March of, excuse me, May of 2020. So that was everybody had a tumultuous year, and I threw moving into that like so many of us did. Yes. So, but we made it, and uh, here I am in the swamp, and uh, it's good. It's a good voodoo life. Yes, yes.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay, so I'm so curious because I know that you, I know that in addition to writing, that you teach because we both teach at the Haunted Diary Paranormal School online. But I was also curious, because yeah, I did see on your website that you offer card readings and things like that. When it comes to your sort of just like daily operational work, like what does your practice typically look like as you're going about just like career stuff and your you know the work that you have to complete throughout the day?
1: there's a lot of ancestor work that we do and I think that's not just New Orleans voodoo that's all of the African traditional religions you know there's a lot of you know I make some coffee in the morning and if I make a special meal that they taught me how to make I give them some of that and you know my daughter passed so I always spend some time talking to her almost every day and I've had a lot of friends that have passed too especially in the in the recent you know year so there's a lot of offerings and conversation and guidance that I feel like I go to them for throughout the day and then there's other things you know there's readings if there's something big is happening there's readings for other people I have my own like personal students we call them godchildren I'm their godmother and I do readings and consultations and initiations for them so right now I have maybe probably about eight or ten active ones so they keep me busy oh I'm sure know, yeah. <laughs> two of them are about to have a baby any day so that has got me on it oh know.
0: yeah because so I have to yeah, imagine yeah. it really does feel almost like a mother type of like a mother child connection and then like they're having babies I'm sure I'm sure that's very <laughs> a lot of energy
1: It is. It is. And it's their first baby for both of them. So, you know, it's really nice. And and I know that they're both in a really wonderful place, you know. And that's the thing that makes me happiest. You know, I have them. A lot of them came to me when they were young, you know, like 18, 19. And just knowing them for the past 10 plus years and to see how they've progressed and how their lives are moving on. It's such a beautiful thing, you know. Mm
0: -hmm. How do you, how do you find, or I guess, how do they find you, your godchildren?
1: I'm going to tell you a story about one of my uh, daughters. I won't tell her name because it's a silly story, but she had come to my in-person workshops I was doing. You know, I do workshops about, you know, spiritual oils and baths of voodoo and Santo and things like that. And she'd come to that one and, you know, she asked all these questions and she came up to me at the end and she was like, well, is it okay to kill animals in your backyard? And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) We were in the middle of New York city. I'm like, what is this woman doing? Like, do I need to call the police? (laughs) And it turned out that she was living on a commune in the Pacific Northwest and they had a farm and, you know, they had, vegetables that they grew and they had animals that they took care of and eventually they would eat some of those animals so that's what she was talking about but that was not what I thought of in my mind yeah, that was like I was
0: like Is she, <laughs> she was sacrificing so, them like <laughs>
1: some crazy thing in the
0: backyard yes. like get
1: her away from
0: me yeah but no,
1: I talked to her and, and found out it was very different and uh you know that, that I just love that but usually they you know, take an online workshop with me or get a reading with me. I have another student that just got a reading to see if they should move forward, you know, with me as a student. And it's hard now because travel's restricted because there's a lot of initiations and things that have to be done in person. So, yeah.
0: I'm curious yeah. when it comes to, so like I know in a lot of like ceremonial magicians and, you know, like pagan stuff, there's like the, the year and a day. When it comes to sort of like the practices that you teach and that you follow, is there like, are there specific time markers that you work with?
1: Well, I almost always do a reading just to see if it's right for the person, because maybe something else would be right for the person. And it usually takes a year. Sometimes it takes a lot longer than that. You know, I've had people that were just sort of friends or would come and we and when we do an open ceremony or something like, you know, we did the. Closing ceremony for New York City Pagan Pride, which was great, you know, hundreds of people were there, it was wonderful, you know, so they would do things with us in public, but they weren't allowed to do the private things. And once they got to know us and feel comfortable, they decided they were going to move forward. So I think it's different for everybody. But if somebody came to me and said, I want it done right now, I probably wouldn't do it, because I think they wouldn't realize everything that goes into it when, you know, you are dedicated to a house and you're dedicated to these ways. And mm-hmm. for me, it's a benefit, but some people think it's a little restrictive, especially in the beginning.
0: Right, 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 right. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I'm curious because I know that, like, you referred to yourself as a hoodoo priestess and you have your book, Voodoo and African Traditional Religion. What are, like, what are the things that make hoodoo different from voodoo and some of the other, like, I guess practices that fall under the umbrella that you're working with?
1: Well, I mean, primarily I'm a New Orleans voodoo priestess, mm-hmm. and that's what I've practiced for the past, oh, geez, I just said my daughter's 30, so I've practiced for the past 29 years mm-hmm. um, with the Voodoo spiritual temple, so that's what—that's a while, and um, mm-hmm. and I think I always practiced because there were all these things that I learned from both sides of my family growing up that are traditional hoodoo practices, like I said, like, you know, putting this in your food or putting this under the doormat or putting this here in order to make sure you're protected and things like that. And I always grew up doing them, but hoodoo in general is less formalized. I mean, it's sort of changing now, but it's not the same kind of thing. Both New Orleans voodoo and Haitian voodoo, which I also have initiations in have, you know, you have a teacher, you learn from that teacher, you get initiated, you move forward, you dedicate time to the community. All of these things happen, whereas who's less formalized. It's more like you learn what you learn from the person, and it's very situation-based. You know, like, mm-hmm. I don't like my neighbor, so I'm going to put a broom on the wall in between my house and theirs and yeah. stick a fork in it. And
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, like almost how um, Catholics bury the saint when they want to sell their house. I can't think of the same Yeah, now. those are yeah. the
1: practices as well. Yeah, oh, okay,
0: definitely. yeah. Definitely. <laughs> um. I'm curious, like when it comes to the relationship with the work that you're doing and like the tourism in NOLA, like how do those worlds blend? Because I mean, I've been to New Orleans before and it's like it's it feels like Disneyland to me when I go there, almost like Vegas for witches. And so I'm curious what it's like for you to be in this place that is very magical, but it's also like there's like magical tourism
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I wish there was more of it that was genuine. You know, I'm not going to call anybody out by name.
0: Right. Uh, right, of course. <laughs> but I'd like to. I really would. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm sure. Nice person,
1: you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. but there's a lot of fake stuff on TV and there's a lot of, you know, I mean, I, I did do my undergrad in anthropology and then I went on to do my grad and it was a joint program at NYU in anthropology and Uh, cinema for making documentaries and things like that so you know I'm a trained anthropologist so people who come in and and either don't have initiations or don't have educational background training understanding knowledge about it are really polluting what the tourist experience is and I think most tourists don't want to leave Bourbon Street and most tourists don't want to take the time to find out what it is because they think they you know saw a movie or they heard, yeah, you know, I've heard a lot about tour guides say stuff that was just so not true about voodoo. Right. And that's, you know, that's really why I did start writing because I was tired of people saying voodoo was bad or evil or all about dolls or zombies or, yeah. you know, those kinds of things. And uh, this book that I sent you, it was originally published and it was, it's very different now. I rewrote every chapter. I added another chapter but it was supposed to be all those questions that people had that they wouldn't necessarily get the right answer to if they went to their tour guide or if they went to the shop in the quarter that didn't really know the extent of what I know about voodoo. Also, you know, like I said, practicing and studying for almost 30 years.
0: Right. Well, it's so interesting too, because I feel like, you know, a lot of the the stigma that like, any witchy practice is evil. Like a lot of, so much of it comes from just like sure. taking people's power away and like you know wanting wanting to stigmatize like their spiritual practice that separates them, you know, th- like threatens basically like the patriarchy or <laughs> like the religious right is you know kind of how I've seen it. But one of the most interesting things that I've seen in New Orleans has, at the Pharmacy Museum when the oh
1: yeah my friend works there oh I love he that does is
0: yes he, yes okay because the one of the one of the people who has the tour guides there is like so fascinating and they were talking about how like a lot of the churchgoers would secretly buy like their their voodoo cures or their hoodoo cures from the pharmacy and that's kind of where like the term love potion like love potion number nine came from because they would just ask for like the number nine but really it was like a secret potion have you done any studies about that
1: I have looked into some of it I mean unfortunately like everything else the records are not the best (laughs) that they could be and a lot of the records especially you know when we talk about Marie Laveau and and the other people that were around in the 1800s a lot of those records are held by the Catholic Church so they don't like to give out a lot of those things but yes There's a good book, Spiritual Merchants by Carolyn Long. She talks about people selling some of these things. I know that there's an author, Yvonne, I'm going to mispronounce her name, unfortunately. Abero, I think, is how she pronounces it. But uh, she wrote an endorsement for my book. But she's working on a book about who spells and formulas and things like that. That's what I did here. (laughs) <laughs> around. Yeah. So I think there's more research going into what was actually made and, and the formulas and stuff like that. But unfortunately, a lot of it has been lost throughout time.
0: Yeah, that's such a bummer. Well,
1: I- yeah, I mean, it wasn't written down. I think because, I mean, if you go back far enough enslaved slaves, people weren't allowed to write. There were laws against it. Yeah. So, you know, people writing down these formulas and then a lot of stuff was stolen. If we look at figures like Black Herman, or even Zora Neale Hurston, who's known as a famous writer, you know, the stuff that she wrote about New Orleans voodoo, she didn't own it. She didn't have the rights to her own intellectual property back then. Someone paid for her to go and do the research and then it got locked away in a vault and she wasn't allowed to publish it. So even though she was an anthropologist too, and she went to Columbia, there was a restricted you know, saying put on her own academic work in this area. And that makes me really sad. So, you know,
0: yeah. it must feel it, sorry. Go ahead.
1: I was going to say it's different than witchcraft where there's, you know, a lot of it. There was like a drop off there, you know, but there was a continual thing. If we look at the ATRs, there's continual evidence that people have been practicing this. You know, for four thousand years, but unfortunately, it was not written down in the same way, or it was, you know, stolen or burned or whatever, and, and we don't have it.
0: Right? How, do you have you heard of any interesting stories about like how information that's available now has been carried through, or of any information being recovered?
1: There was a recent story that I put on my blog, Booty Universe, that I was really fascinated about because. Everybody always called Marie Laveau the widow Paris. And recently, I think last month, an LSU student discovered that her husband, um, what was his name, Jacques Paris, I believe, he did not disappear. He really just went to Lafayette, which is not that far from here at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's true. And then, he, I mean, he died shortly after, but it was always this big mystery that, like, he disappeared and, oh, the voodoo priest's husband disappeared. And it wasn't, I mean, he went less than 100 miles away. That's where he was. He's in the record over there.
0: Oh, my so. gosh. And people just now found this?
1: Yeah, she just found it last month. Like I said, I did an article about it on my blog, Voodoo Universe. But yeah, she's an LSU doctoral student over there, a black woman, which made me really happy that she tracked this down and she found this information and she put it out there.
0: That's very cool. It must feel really good to be able to sort of like have this very powerful presence though and publish the work that you've created after like having it being silenced for so long.
1: It is. It really is. I mean, like I said, I did it for my daughters and my nieces and and so many people send me, you know, emails and messages on social media about how they really feel validated and affirmed by the work. It was, you know, stuff they already knew. I got one message from somebody who said she bought this voodoo book in its original thing when it came out in 2004 and she used to read it hiding under the covers. With a flashlight <laughs> because her father was really religious, and he would have freaked out if, Aww. you know, he knew she was reading the book. And it just makes me happy that now, you know, it is coming to light and it is getting some of the respect that it deserves. I have a friend, Rivaneri Priestville, who, well, she just did a Fete Azili in New York, but before the pandemic, she had done a Fete Gay Day, which is a Ceremony for the Ancestors in New York And the New York Times picked it up And put it in the magazine and I was like I never thought that was going to happen In my entire life that the New York Times Would be writing about voodoo in a Positive light that you know my book Had a wonderful review from Publishers Weekly I didn't think that was going to happen you know So I'm glad That it's, it's getting out there and I'm glad People are looking at it
0: Do you when you're connecting with your ancestors Do you feel them like supporting you and being proud of you and like do you feel their joy in your accomplishments
1: sometimes <laughs>
0: <laughs> got
1: it <laughs> yeah some I mean sometimes it's just like oh well you should have done this or you should have done it's like when they were alive you know what I mean
0: <laughs> yes
1: yeah Uh huh. yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah some of like the personality comes out as real as it was when they were in yes. material form I love I kind of love that
1: yeah. Yeah. It's it's entertaining. I'll say that.
0: Definitely. I, um, when I was going through some of your work online and in your book, that's kind of like one of the things, like your, the baseline things that you tell people to do first is to set up an ancestral altar. What are some of the, like, what's some of the guidance that you would give to someone who like really was like, I don't know what I'm doing Like, even if they're just trying to explore some of the practices that you're working with, like, what would you recommend?
1: I mean, a dedicated space is the first thing you need because the ATRs, I think this is separate from, you know, some of the other traditions. There's a real, it has to be separate from you know, your bedroom where you're going to be having sex or you're going to be doing other things like that. We really do keep it separate, which is not what they tell you in the movies, but that's right. what it is. Would you have sex in front of your grandparents if they were still alive? Right. Probably not. <laughs> so you don't really want to have that in your bedroom. I know a lot of people have it in a cabinet. My godson did a workshop, once on like doing it in a cigar box, you know, oh. and then you can just put things that they liked in there. You know, my grandmother loved violets. So if it's violet season, I'll pick some and and press them in a book and then put them, you know, on the altar for her so they'll last. Or sometimes I had a, a client once, he was doing a healing for his baby who was sick. And I said, well, what do you have of your grandparents? He said, all I have is my grandfather's spatula. So I was like, okay, put that on the altar because (laughs) that has the energy of your grandfather. He used that every day and, you know, he wants you to be successful. He wants your baby to be healthy. He wants his own blood to continue, you know, so Mm -hmm. we need to get him involved in this thing that, you know, we're working for that's so important. So, yeah, if you have something of theirs, that's great. If a picture is great this is one of the the bonuses of, you know, having the internet, we can go online, you know, and uh, my sister sent me a message the other day, she didn't remember when our great aunt died. And I was like, well, I think it's later than that. And I googled it. And there it was. And I was like, that's wonderful. You know, (laughs) I don't have to go looking for a death certificate or a math card or something like I can just look online, if I know somebody's name and where they were when they died. And She even died in 79, which I thought it wasn't going to be online, but there it was. So I was very happy about that. So we can find out the dates when they died, you know, what their birthday was, those kinds of things, go back in the records and, you know, maybe find pictures we don't even have and start from there. Yeah. You know, and I did, I did do a post about what if you were adopted, you know, usually then I just tell people to meditate and be still and think about what names come to them in that space.
0: Right. What do you think about, like, if people wanted to practice voodoo, for instance, and they don't have any ancestral ties to the religion, like, how does that play into their ability to practice and keep an ancestral altar?
1: Well, everybody has ancestors. So right. for me, that's not uh, African traditional religious practice. It's just a practice of honoring where you came from, okay. um, practicing voodoo going forth from that like getting initiated or something i usually suggest people get a reading you know any of the atrs go and get a reading from somebody and and talk about are you interested and should you move forward and and respect what the answer is i think that's the simplest way to do it you know
0: yeah that Um, makes total sense
1: because there's there's definitely people who you would not think would be in the tradition but the readings came out and and now they have godparents in the tradition there's no such thing as self-initiation that's the thing that I really get hung up on so all some of these you know I I don't want to sound like an angry old woman but some of the younger (laughs) people out there are deciding that oh well Oshun came to me in a dream and now I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do this and that's not how the system works. And it doesn't work that way for good reason, because you need somebody to guide you through these things. That's This is the way it's been done for 4,000 years. You know, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. You know, we have people there to give us guidance. And I'm so happy for my godmothers. I'm so happy I can go to them. Right. You know, and sometimes it is a little, like, Oh, you know, mommy told me I need to sit down and be quiet for a minute, but that's what happened.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Totally, totally. okay, you know. I feel like you read my mind too, because I was going to ask, what if people want to like (laughs) self-initiate? And so you're like, no, don't do it. Don't even think about it. You're like, get a reading.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there was, somebody did write a a Santeria guide to self-initiation, but then he went crazy and I think he's in jail now. So, um, yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Don't do it. They
0: were, the, the energies weren't pleased. They were like, you need the, no, no. Have you, have you heard of any other cases where people were kind of like messing with something without guidance where it just blew up in their face and they either came to you or someone you knew for damage control?
1: Yeah, it's happened to me. Um, I mean, I did, there's always something in the newspaper. Oh, you know, Whatever. Silly little whatever decides to summon this and ends up dying or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we may never know what happens in any of those things. I don't think it's really punishment from the Loa or the Arisha or the spirits. I think it's probably something else is going on there. People love a sensational story. Right. But I think that it's the same way. I always compare it to food, you know. Some people, when I was a kid, I ate a peanut butter sandwich every day. Other people, They're definitely allergic to peanuts. And if they ate a peanut butter sandwich, they'd end up in the hospital. So you need somebody to say, this is something that's going to be good for you in the situation. Do some divination. Find out how to help you in the situation. As opposed to you just going, running out, eating a peanut butter sandwich when you might be allergic.
0: Right. Yeah. And I mean, I even saw, too, in your book that you were kind of writing, like, you know, if this is something that you are starting to work with, like, you shouldn't be asking for anything or, like, trying to summon anyone until you really know what you're doing. Like just, like, just sort of leave offerings.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good way to connect. You know, we say before you get initiated, just the beginnings of initiations, which is either a lave or a rogation, you would. That's kind of like a baptism. And then you're recognized in the tradition. And that's when the arisha or the loa can see you. Mm-hmm. and you can see and hear them clearly. Before that, it's all just anything. It's, it's like walking down Bourbon Street at midnight. You know what I mean? You yeah. don't know who's going to be helpful to you. You don't know who's going to try and rob you. You don't know who's yeah. going to puke on your shoes.
0: Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah or maybe both. Like you're in,
1: you know. Yeah, it could be all of those <laughs> yeah. things, you know,
0: yes. and until
1: you have those those things in place, you're not really protected from that us. And and I know it's hard, you know. For years, I remember going to a Bembe or a ceremony, and I would start to feel like there was some spirit or something connecting with me. And they would usher me out the room. I would get thrown out of that place so fast because I wasn't initiated, and uh. it it wasn't. It didn't feel good, but that's what had to happen because they don't know. Maybe I picked up the guy who's going to knife you and puke on your shoes.
0: Yeah, you know, they don't know. Yeah. So
1: once you go through that, then it and it's not an easy process, but what you get out of it is fantastic. And and I think the other benefit to not asking right away is, Maybe you don't know what you want. You know, maybe you want this job, but if you have that job, somebody's going to come in and shoot everybody up next week. Right. Or maybe your boss is going to, you know, ask you to sit on his lap. Maybe, who knows what's going to happen? Maybe, that, maybe there's a better job for twice as much money where you're working with your best friend if you don't take this job. Yes. So you don't know. It's sort of leaving it in the hands of the universe to give you whatever's for your most highest good. That's what my... Anteria Godmother used to say, just pray for your most highest good, because you don't necessarily know what that is.
0: Yeah. And I think that is a good rule of thumb, just because it's like when you like, you you know, the universe wants to surprise us, too. That's why, you know, sometimes it's just like not every spell you cast is going to manifest because maybe there's something different that's better that you, you know, you'd rather have later. So I like that you have this sort of approach where it's like you just trust the universe like and be good to the universe.
1: Yeah, I think so. Again, it's about establishing that relationship. I have a good friend who's a mm. Ifa Babalao and he always says, you know, he wouldn't walk up to somebody on the street he's never met and ask them for a new job or a relationship or, you know, a $1,000. Yeah. You know, you have to establish a relationship with somebody first. And that's another reason why we have godparents because we kind of can trade on their relationships, you know, they can show us how to act and show us what's worked for them and what's worked for their other godchildren and then we can all work together.
0: Plus I feel like it's easier to be able to identify like when you're even ready for something like that.
1: Yeah, I think so because I do think it's different for everybody, which is, which again is why it works in a community because there's going to be a community of people that can explain what it was like for them and and what helped them go through the process and and how they were better off after it. And and that, I mean, I make people usually, like I said, sometimes people will come and do the, the open things, but I almost always recommend that they meet the other people in the house first. You know, we have a lot of people of color. We have a lot of LGBTQIA people, you know. So if that's not going to be something that they're comfortable with then they should find somewhere else honestly
0: yeah totally I am so curious because you have um you have your love spell book with 250 spells and potions for love magic and I'm just kind of curious to know more about this book like what is your approach when it comes to love magic and love spells because I feel like there are a lot of different opinions around doing that sort of magic
1: Well, it was funny when they wanted me. It wasn't my choice. The publisher wanted me to write it. And I thought, okay, I can do this. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that was all I was so upset all growing up. I was obsessed with love spells. I think I asked everyone I ever met in the magical community. What's your best love spell? What you got? you know so uh it made sense when they were like oh do you think you could do this I was like oh yeah but very quickly after it came out I realized I had to explain the ethics behind it because people see a book like that and they think it's all about like oh how do I trap this person into a relationship so they'll love me forever and it's not about that and even if you could do that or you did do that you wouldn't want it I've had clients say that to me they're like oh what usually happens I'm like you won't want it and then they'll call me back a month later you're right I don't want it anymore yeah and I'm like okay you know so it's it's not you know I talk in the book about uh, a friend of mine who knew somebody who did every spell they could and then they finally got that partner and then they both ended up dying of AIDS. So like, again, maybe you want that person, but maybe you don't want that person, you know, maybe you really want something else. So there really isn't any spells in there that's like, oh, you know, get me this person. It has to be this person right now, right now, you know, because I don't think that's healthy. And I think there are other things. Again, bring the right person for you to you. That's what I usually tell people to pray for or mm-hmm. do spell work for because, you know, that's the best thing. And and the rest of it is just filled with like self-love spells, spells for like, well, we love our animals. So spells for our animals, spells for our family, so we can get along during the holidays, you know, spells for what if you're getting married or hand fasted, you know, things that have consent and are both mutual, and everybody's informed about what's happening, and we can still move forward, you know.
0: Do you think that when it comes to, like, praying for someone's health and well-being, or even doing any sort of ritual around that, like, what do you think that the rules around consent are if someone is, like, maybe they're in a coma, or they're not able to, like, they're on a ventilator even, they they can't communicate, like, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I mean, I think if you don't know what their wishes are, just like I said, pray for whatever is their highest good. That might mean, you know, being elevated from this plane and, and not being here with us anymore. But maybe if they did, you know, live longer, it would have been something that they would have suffered or they would never have had the quality of life that they did before. So I think you really need to leave it up to the universe. Nobody lives forever, unfortunately right you know and uh we have things in the African traditional religions we have things where we're protected and there's rituals and stuff so you can do so you won't leave this planet before your time but we truly believe that there's a time for everybody for some people unfortunately it's when they're young and for some people it's when they're older but everybody has a right time right and we can do things to protect ourselves to an extent we can do things to heal ourselves but you know I think that there's only so much we can do. It's not like we get a million chances, unfortunately.
0: Right. When you had mentioned kind of like in your, in the love spot book that you wrote that you had stuff in there around like protecting animals. Is that right? Yes. What are some of the practices? Cause I know so like so many of my listeners are always living the animal stuff when we talk about animal spells or communication, what are some of the things that you like to do when working with like your animals?
1: Well, I like to do things, obviously, find the herbs and botanicals and things that are safe for animals. And I like to do things like make a protection cell in a spray bottle and then just spray, like, where they're going to be sleeping, you know, if you have a dog bed or spray where it's the blanket that they always sleep on or something like that so that they're protected, you know, because... They've got a lot of dangers, too. You know, my sister's coming to visit with her dog. And I'm like, oh, I hope it doesn't go in the backyard where the red ants are. Or I hope yeah. none of the other dogs come after it, you know, because it's a tiny dog. So yes. <laughs> there's they need protection, too, you know, and they need healing sometimes yes. as well. There's a lot of things in my book about herbs and stuff regular kitchen herbs some of which are safe for your animals that you know you could add to their food or something Mm -hmm. and I think this is again another good way to show your love for them and also keep them both magically and physically healthy
0: right because I think that too another like another risk for animals is that they're so much like they're so innocent and they're so pure and so if you know how to get you know if you have your psychic protection up but something's coming after you and it can't get to you. Like if your animal's not protected, it could almost get the psychic attack that might've been meant for you.
1: Oh, definitely. That's why witches had familiars because it was sort of there as a a barrier to keep that stuff away from you, you know, unfortunately that's sad. We don't want our animals to get hurt
0: for anything
1: like that. So yeah. Yeah.
0: What kind of animals do you have?
1: Well, I had, for my whole life, I always had cats and dogs, and we were at foster home or whatnot, but because of the move, I don't have any animals right now except fish. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, do you, yeah. Do I miss you, it. I
1: want another dog bad. Oh,
0: bad. yeah. It's really hard to go without having a dog once you've had one. It's like, it just feels really, oh, yeah, it's really lonely. It does.
1: It feels weird. Yeah, yeah.
0: Do you feel like you have a history of just like your animals kind of like, being participants in your magic because like I know my dog gets very interested whenever I'm working any sort of magic and she kind of like you know wants to know what's going on so do you have a lot of like is that usually how your animals are as well
1: oh yeah definitely definitely I had a cat once that used to do tarot card readings I would just spread the cards out and it would like nuzzle out different cards or take the paw and push different cards toward me she was wonderful. I loved her. She was the most psychic cat I ever had.
0: I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. She was and
1: fantastic.
0: Then they're kind of like little... Um, when they're so psychic like that, they can almost be like little... I don't know, like little alarms if there's something weird in your Oh, yeah, house. definitely.
1: Definitely. She was. She was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I, I love
1: that about them, too. You know what I mean? Because there's always energies and things that you feel. And, and if you're alone, you're not sure what really happened. Did I imagine that if you have an animal there and they're looking at the same weird spot in the wall that you are, you're like, all right, there's something over there. Yes.
0: (laughs) That is 100% happened, um, with me and my dog. And she was like staring at the corner and barking at something. So I went to look and I saw like, sure enough, I saw like a little orb and she, (laughs) my boyfriend was like, what's she barking at? I was like a ghost. He was like, whatever. I don't know what you're talking about.
1: No, they do. They let you know. Yes.
0: Yes. Uh, You also have a book about, I love that you have fish because you also have a book about water magic that I thought, you know, was interesting. What is your sort of like, what is your kind of idea about what the symbolism and what the meaning behind water is and how we can work with it?
1: Well, it doesn't matter what culture you're looking at. There's like two things that go with water. One is the emotions, you know, love and romance and, and all of the feelings and all of those things, you know, are sort of assigned to water. Doesn't matter if it's, you know, Celtic culture or African culture or whatever, that does seem to be a domain of it on mm-hmm. some level. And then the other thing is the ancestors and this idea that, the water is the realm of those that have passed it's sort of the beyond that that we can connect with through the actual water that we have so those are my two big things but when i was writing the book i kept coming up with more things you know like that recent study where they looked at it and if you say positive things to the water it actually gets to be healthier and if you say negative yes. things to the water it gets to be more negative and i'm like Think of how many people go through their days like looking in the mirror and going, you know, oh, my gosh, I'm fat, or my this looks like crap or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, that ne- your bodies are mostly made of water. So your entire body is responding to that negative criticism that you're throwing at it all the time. So this, like, gives more reason for us to do affirmations and have those kinds of, like, positive self-love spell moments throughout the day because our body will react on a molecular level. All the water in it will change and therefore everything that happens in the rest of your day will change because you'll be in such a better healthier space yes. so I, I just loved that coming out but there was a ton of other things in there you know I talk about all the different gods and goddesses from various different traditions all the mythological places like Atlantis and everything like that and then yes. I talk about the physical places which was fun too you know I'm a big Twin Peaks fan so I talked about Snoqualmie Falls and the legends, the native legends of the area there and, and all of these things like that and it was fascinating it was a fun book to write
0: i'm so curious because i know that you have this like this very impressive anthropology background and you've studied a lot of different traditions especially with their connection to water do you feel like there are, like the the deeper you get into studying a certain topic or a certain area of magic across any culture, you know, whether it's like you said Celtic or African, do you think that like you start to see patterns that like, you just don't know how they could have communicated these ideas with one another. Like there's no possible way because of like the time that they came around and, and, and the ability, like the ability to travel wasn't there. Like, do you kind of see like how things connect before? Like we were able to connect with each other.
1: Yeah, one of the most fascinating things that I found out when I was writing the book, it has a guest chapter in there from Alison Eggleston, who has her doctorate in linguistics, and she talks about how the root for the word water, when you go back to like ancient Sumeria, was the same in all these different cultures, you know, again, like at a point where there probably wasn't contact. but the word for water where you make that sound in your mouth was the same and I I thought that was so fascinating to me and it was really important to me to have her do that and to have that be part of the book because for me what you call something is so important and what different cultures call something is so important so the fact that this word or the roots to this word were the same in so many different places was just mind boggling to me. Yeah. It's like, wow. Okay. So this is, just, yes. you know, really, really magical, really magical.
0: Oh, that's so cool. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I want to look at all your books now. Like I want to look at your water book and your love book. Like everything is so, so cool. Oh, thank you. How, um, How would you sort of like, because I know that you teach classes that are just like specifically herbal. Um, Do you like, what do you say to your students when you're just trying to talk about a specific herb versus like the structure of a specific practice? Like, is like, how do you help them incorporate that into their lives without sort of like stepping over a line? When it comes to things that you really need to know your stuff about and really need to study.
1: Well, I mean, I always tell them to check the, you know, it might be good to check the actual accepted use of these things. There are a lot of things that we use. I want to say, I did a post about tonka beans not that long ago. Now, this is like a hoodoo ingredient. It's a magic ingredient. It's used in perfume, a lot like that. It also used to be an edible ingredient, but now it's toxic, and it's been outlawed in like parts of Europe and all of the U.S. So obviously, you don't want to eat this anymore, even if it was okay for our grandparents to eat. There really is something in it that we're not supposed to be eating. So just be (laughs) mindful of that, and be mindful of your own sensitivities and things like that. But what I usually do when I'm teaching about it, I talk about how, okay it's been used in these different cultures for these different things. It's been used for these different goddesses. If you're already working for Aphrodite and you know that this is an Aphrodite herb, then, you know, consider using that in your practice with Aphrodite because that's what historically she's been given as an offering. But if you don't, don't just run out and you can use the herb but you don't have to run out and then begin some sort of study with Aphrodite. Just be mindful of this is what the character of the herb has been used for in the past. Mm -hmm. And then I usually also recommend people use, uh, pendulums or dowsing rods or some simple. Yes. No, you can even do it with tarot cards. I have a post on the blog about yes, no with tarot cards, but you know, let's say you want to use parsley, which is very healing. It's something people eat. Parsley is an ingredient all over the place, you know, so do a yes no, see if it's okay for you to use that in your magic. See if it's okay for you to use that as part of a magical bath or a magical floor wash or a gri green mix that you put in your pocket. Yes. See if it would be good.
0: Yes. And I think that even too, just coming back to what we were talking about with the you know, the messages that like you know like the hidden messages in water that that was the book I think um where it was like you say the nice things to your water and the water's healthier that's when I think ritual bath is like such a magical thing to like say say an affirmation to your water like say positive things to your water and then actually submerge in it
1: definitely definitely I think that's so powerful I'm a big bath person Mm -hmm. and my last place I didn't have a tub I used to have to get in like a plastic tub when I had to do a (laughs) ritual bath and it was it was
0: sad it was sad I understand (laughs) yeah not having a bath is (laughs) it's hard to like go back to normal baths too like when you know you could just make a ritual out of it just like with just a few extra steps
1: Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I think that that's something that everybody should jump on the bandwagon with, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. It's so good yeah, for a yeah, self so too.
1: It is, and it allows that time for reflection. I feel like there's so many things where we're doing this and this and this and this, and we're running all around. And we don't have that time to focus on ourselves. We don't have that time for reflection, and a bath allows us to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm curious because... The I've like the owner of the shop that I work at. I don't know if you, maybe you may have heard of him or you may know him. Sal. He I work at the Crooked Path in Burbank. Sal Santoro.
1: What is it? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. His name. Oh, his
0: name is Sal Santoro. Are you familiar with him? He owns a shop no. called the Crooked Path. Okay, I was just curious because he has this like. um... He mostly worships the goddess Hekate, but he does have, like, other altars to other deities. And there was an instance where he, like, kind of, like, allowed their spaces to cross over and had kind of, like, an interesting thing happen that, like, made him think that one of his goddesses was pissed off at him. Do you have, like, picky deities that that you work with where, you know, you have to, like, keep their energies separate and keep their spaces dedicated strictly to them? Or do you kind of Oh, definitely. that thing? Okay.
1: <laughs> definitely. We even make, like, and they've made these for hundreds of years. We have special cabinets so that, like, the statuary can go in an equal yet, like, separate face and they don't have to see each other they don't have to look at each other like a horse with blinders on oh. you know whatever's happening over here is happening over here and then this is happening over here so we have lots of ones that we don't like and we don't do at the same time just because they really dislike each other they don't
0: get along okay that's so interesting so when you have the do you, the, the cabinets like closed too so you open them when you need to work with them and then you kind of like tuck them in
1: Yeah, yeah. It also works for, like I said, you don't do anything like sexual in front of them. So, you know, you could have the cabinet in the bedroom and then just make sure it was closed if you were going to be, you know, intimate with somebody.
0: Yeah. And yeah, and I think that's especially a good solution for people who live in studios or don't have a lot of space or people who are kind of like closeted about their practice.
1: Yeah. I mean, my godson did it when he was living with his parents, even though he was an adult, but they weren't necessarily, you know, happy about him practicing voodoo so he decided to do it in the cigar boxes cigars are something we use for offerings anyway and it just made a really sweet way for him to just you know open it interact with it and then close it up when he wasn't home so people wouldn't see it
0: right one of the things that I saw in your book I wish I had had more time to kind of look it over before we we talked because it's so interesting but one of the things that I had like um seen when I was going through it was just how you were kind of like yeah, there's, like, this connotation about, you know, voodoo and hexes and voodoo dolls, but, like, really so much of what we do is to, like, elicit positive change. Like, how do you, like, that must be such a difficult thing because, like, I have been in the French Quarter where there are, like, stores that are straight up, like, called hex you know (laughs) and so like
1: actually hex is one of the better ones you know (laughs)
0: no and i do i do like the (laughs) store but just like for people who are like oh yeah you know what i mean like oh i don't know about that like i guess it could keep out people who don't have any business being there in the first place well i mean i'm actually doing hex fest what this weekend yeah that's it i am dying to go to hex fest (laughs) the
1: event run by hex they have stores here in New Orleans and also in Salem but they realized that tourists are gonna also you know pick up on that kind of thing and they realize that tourists better to have them get in there which is why I called the book voodoo which has a lot of negative connotations of it too but that's what we call it here in New Orleans and for me I'm all about sort of reclaiming the actual word voodoo and I think in the hex thing people think it's edgy or mysterious or naughty or something and and then they go into hex and and then they get to learn the truth about what's really happening in there you know so I think it's that kind of let's let's do that. But, you know, we need hexes and curses too. I think it's naive for people to think that you don't need that. You know, I've grown up in inner inner cities, you know, I I lived in Brooklyn for most of my life and now I live in New Orleans and like some stuff happens out there, you know, and you need to protect yourself and you need to, you know, make sure nobody's hurting you. And if they do hurt you, you know, you need to make sure that they're going to stop. So, you know i mean i would love it to all be about love and light but that's not everybody else's agenda so
0: right uh, <laughs> yeah no and i think that it's a mistake to just kind of live in the love and light world for that reason you know what i mean and it, like to be aware of the darkness that exists around you but also within yourself too cuz sometimes yeah people in the in the love and light only they don't see themselves so clearly
1: <laughs> no they don't they don't. And I I think that again, that has to be about balance. There's, you know, light and dark and everything in between. So that's one of the things I really wanted people to know about this book, that there were lots of different traditions and it wasn't necessarily sexualized and it wasn't necessarily, like you said, about dolls or zombies or anything like that. But Mm -hmm. there is a truth to it that is really beautiful, you know, and it is really wonderful and people should approach it respectfully and they will see all the fantastic benefits that can come from it. You know, mm-hmm. I was looking at something the other day where Yama Van Zant's the crowned head of Oshu. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, look at that. She's helped so many people, you know, but she can't necessarily put that in the first line of her bio, but that's the truth of the matter that, that this is how people, conduct themselves in a very honorable way, in a very respectful way, and they can help people with the religion.
0: Yes. I love that. And I love, like, I think that's the perfect way to put it too, where it's like, you know, sometimes you need to, but really you can help people. You can. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I am curious. I have this one last question, and then I'll let you go because we're almost at an hour. But if, you know, I wanted to point the finger just one more time back at hexes, because I know that people are always just sort of curious about it because you said like it does have like that mystery to it. it is a little bit of a buzzword. And if someone was like trying to decide whether or not they should put a curse on someone, put a hex on someone in, in self-defense, what, what are some of the things that they should ask themselves? Or what are some of the things that they should do before proceeding?
1: Well, I think the same way as with the love spell, we've got to approach it from an ethical manner you know what I mean would you go over there and you know hurt this person physically no probably not you know you'd get in trouble well the same thing could happen spiritually you know if you try and hurt somebody spiritually you also might be backlash or something like that so I would get a reading I would do a reading I would see what's going to be helpful I remember back when I first started you know the thing was everybody would be like oh you know, I was in, where was I? New England. And everybody goes, oh, we just send all our enemies to Canada. And then I went to Canada and the Canadians were like, we send them to the U.S. So, like, <laughs> okay, yeah. there's just this interchange of really nasty people that nobody wants to deal with, you know, but that might be the situation. The situation might be that maybe it would be better if the person, you know, moved on or got another job, you know, right. if you had a, a problematic boss you don't need to take them out you know maybe it would be better if they got another job or if they decided to retire early or Mm -hmm. there's a lot of ways to deal with a problematic situation you know if you feel like your life is in danger I always tell people no matter what book it is they should go to the authorities they should get an order of protection they should follow all those legal things and then they should do whatever they can do magically to protect themselves and then if it still doesn't work then they can do a reading to see if they should do something a little bit more extreme.
0: Yeah, that's a good way. Like, I like this, the take the steps, chip out it away slowly, and, and then we'll see. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, and to what extent is somebody, I'm not trying to put blame on victims, because I've been a victim myself, and, right. and but I think, you know, if it's the kind of thing where you're in a situation around somebody who's having this behavior, What I tell my young friends who are three years old on the playground, if somebody's not nice, we move away from them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, don't stand there if the kid's hitting you over the head with a rock, you know?
0: Yeah. (laughs) No, it's so true,
1: too. It's so true. But some people learn it when they're three and some people don't learn learn it until they're, you know, 53. And they learn it a couple of times.
0: Learn it a couple yep. times before they take the message seriously, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, because there's always going to be people like that that aren't mm-hmm. nice. You know, again, go to any playground. You'll, some people are just born not nice. I don't know what it is, yeah. but they are. it's <laughs> true.
0: It's true.
1: <laughs> and then there are people that are going to be nice and considerate and going to be somebody you can have as a good friend, you know. So mm-hmm. seek those people out those people who are going to uplift you as opposed to people who are going to drag you down
0: yeah absolutely that's the best way to put it too like go to the people who lift you up because it's just like it's like that law of attraction thing like the more positive people you have around you the more positive you are the more doors open
1: sure sure definitely definitely
0: well, this was so much fun. I feel like I'm going to have to have you on again sometime soon, you know, just because Oh, I would love that. So, so much. I can't wait to keep reading your book and going through everything. If people want to find you or get their hands on some of the things that you've published, how should they go about that?
1: Well, I'll start with this. Since we're talking about Voodoo and African Traditional Religion, the re-release, it's available. Find copies are available from the ha- and their publishing company which is warlock press so you can go there and I'll, I'll personalize it to you i'll put your name on it i'll sign it if they'll get it to you it'll be great and the rest of my books and things you can find on my website dot they're available at local bookstores they're available online so you know uh that's great my blog is voodoo universe people can check that out there's almost 700 posts on there. So chances are, if you have a question, I probably wrote a blog post about it. If uh, not,
0: nice, yeah.
1: you can email me at voodoouniverse at yahoo.com and I will um, write a blog post about it because I, I'm running out of things to write about yeah. 700 posts now, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm um, on social media too. check out my YouTube channel. I still do make films. So, uh, yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much
1: thank you for having me on this is delightful and I would love to come back whenever
0: yay we're gonna do yeah I'm like I'm gonna read the whole book and then I'm gonna have even more questions like (laughs) all right (laughs) awesome well thank you